All right, man, it's so wonderful to be able to uh, sing together and pray together. Kids, and you guys head toward Elevate, pre-K through first graders. We got the big spotlight today from Miss Courtney. So uh, those of you, if you're a guest of ours and you have a pre-K through first grader and they would like to go to a children's church time, they have a wonderful opportunity. If this is their first time, if you could go with them, that helps our, our volunteers uh, a lot. Take your Bible and turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, we're going to look at the last couple of verses in Colossians 1 as our core text for this morning as we get into, uh, get into the sermon. So those of you who are guests of ours, my name is Owen, and I'm also one of the pastors here along with Jim and a couple other guys being able to serve this church family. And as I was driving up here today, the word that came to mind was the word gratitude, thanksgiving. Jim just took that uh, and, and shared it so well this morning. Our thankfulness to be a part of a church that loves and cares for one another, 1,059 shoeboxes on a uh, pandemic year, yeah, which is incredible. Uh, all the work that's been done in the community, just, just a sense of thanksgiving to the Lord for his, his goodness. Uh, scripture teaches us that the way we battle against grumbling and complaining is with a heart of gratitude, and, and we're able to display that as, as a church family, and so, so I'm th- so thankful to do that. One other quick word as we get into the the, the word this morning would be at the end of the service, as I finish up the sermon, I want to be able to pray over us, and that'll be our time to be dismissed, but don't think of that as a time when, when the response has ended. In fact, that's oftentimes our greatest time of worship, to be able to have conversations and encourage and pray with one another. At the end of the service, I stay up here at the front, we'll have other people up here at the front. If we can pray for you, if you're a guest of ours, I'd be so honored just to meet you and, and have a chance to, to connect in that way. And so when that final prayer happens, don't think of like, oh, that's the end. This is the opportunity for us to then follow through with what God is showing us this morning. So we want to begin in Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 24. Here's our verses for, for this morning. Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Let's pray together as we begin this time. Father, my heart is filled with gratitude for, for this church family. God, thank you for your love for, for my family. God, thank you for the way that we are able to partner together in the gospel to encourage one another. God, thank you for Sunday school classes that do such an incredible job just calling and texting and checking on one another. God, thank you for a church that loves to gather, to worship in this way. But God, we love to be sent out. To, to go and to serve our community and around the world. 
God, we don't see those as competing. We want those to, to come together. And so, Father, as we study Scripture this morning, God, I pray that we would be reminded of your power and, and what that looks like in and through our lives. And so we commit ourselves to you right now. And, Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. You don't have to do this if you're watching at home, obviously, but if you're here in the room, uh, quick show of hands if you're willing to do so. How many of you over the years ever had a chance to see a group of people called the power team? Anybody see the power team? Okay, much better than the early service. A, way, a lot more people uh, acknowledging that they've seen. My illustration could not have fallen harder in the first service because I don't think anybody had seen the power team, maybe one or two. The power team, if you don't know, were a group of guys, mostly guys, maybe a few gals, but mostly guys, super muscular, super strong. They would go around and put on these rallies where they would bend metal and tear phone books and do all these feats of strength. And then at the end, they, they would share the gospel. Uh, now, I want to be careful not to be derogatory or make fun of because they did a lot of evangelism in different areas. We found out after the fact that as physically strong as the power team was, maybe not as spiritually strong behind the scenes, a lot of sin and disunion that was happening and they've splintered into several different groups at, at this point. But here's the point I wanna make up front when you think about the power team. If we're not careful, we associate human strength with divine power. We think about a group like the power team, very strong, very muscular, very impressive in how they present themselves, but does that always equal divine power and divine strength? Because we live in a world where people are obsessed with power. People want to gain power. When they have power, they want more of it or they don't want to lose it. We feel like we're beginning to lose power. People panic or respond in fear or all kinds of different ways. We become obsessed with this idea of power. And, and let's just be honest, we don't have to think about outside the church, we know those power challenges happened right within the church, this idea of power and control, who's in charge, how, does this, these things, how do these things work? And when you begin to feel powerless, it, it affects you in, in a lot of ways. Maybe you feel powerless to hold on to your marriage. Maybe you feel powerless because of what you see happening in a kid's life or one of your grandkids' life or one of your friends' lives. Maybe you feel powerless because there's an addiction or a temptation or something in your life that you just feel like you can never get past. Like, God, I deal with this over and over and over again, and I just feel powerless. This morning, we're going to talk about the idea of limited power that we have, but how does that limited power that we have as humans ultimately point us to the unlimited power of God? We're gonna begin there. The unlimited power of God is our first foundation this morning. El Shaddai, God Almighty. Now we've already talked about the power team. How about some old school Amy Grant music, El Shaddai? Uh, we're we're gonna go way back in Christian life a couple of times here today, but uh, we've got El Shaddai, God Almighty. The place in scripture where El Shaddai is used the most is in the book of Job. The book with the most suffering is the book where God's power stands out the most. That in our times of weakness and our times of brokenness, we need a God who is all-powerful, all-sufficient, never runs out on us. This idea in Genesis chapter 18 is anything 
too hard for the Lord? And the answer is no. Great is our Lord, abundant in power, Psalm 147. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, Exodus 15, this imagery of the Exodus. Now, a couple of explanations about God's unlimited power. If you're in a bad mood this morning or you're prone to be very argumentative, you might say, well, if God's so powerful, can he make a four-sided triangle? Or if God's so powerful, can he make a rock too big for him to lift? Or people talk about those things, but that misunderstands God's power because God's unlimited power always flows from his character. God is always going to be powerful from who he is. So who is he? He's good, he's wise, He's a loving father. His power that he pours out on the world always comes from that background. A God figure who's not loving, good, and wise, but does have power, we don't want anything to do with that. And in fact, these images of power, especially power in the church, I'm afraid sometimes it's turned people off to Christianity. But when we talk about God's powerful, God's power, it comes from his goodness, his love, his wisdom, who he is. Why do we need a God of unlimited power? Well, you could guess the next slide. (laughs) Because human power is limited. God's power is overwhelming and sufficient and all we need because our human power is limited. The foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. I love this quote from J.I. Packer in, in Knowing God. Our personal life is finite. It is limited in every direction, in space, in time, in knowledge, in power, but God is not so limited. He is eternal, infinite, and almighty. So play a little game of you think you're so strong. Um, a dun beetle can push an object 1,000 times its body weight. Think about what that would be for us to push an object 1,000 times our, our body weight. You don't have to announce your body weight and then do the multiplication, but whatever that would be, it's really heavy. A rhinoceros beetle can carry an object that is 850 times its body weight, and a leaf cutter ant can carry in its mouth an object that is 50 times its body weight. So you imagine all these huge machines going around and picking up these groups of trees, and you're like, oh, no big deal, I can do that with my mouth. Like, just go around and pick those up. And and I hated to do a sermon this morning about limited power after so many of you have been without power, electricity, for several weeks, so that was kind of a dangerous call here. But, uh, But we think about this idea. Think about the most powerful business person or politician, and you put them in a kindergarten classroom on a rainy Tuesday in November, you think they're powerful? No, 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 no. Like they're going to their knees in that classroom after like five minutes. We think we know human power. We live in one of the great civilizations in the history of the world and a microscopic virus brings us to a still, standstill. What does it mean to be limited in power? But here's the thing. Not only as humans are we limited in power, but, but that power gets corrupted by sin. Power, something we should have to be able to serve others, gets twisted by sin, and those who are in power instead of serving others just want more power for themselves. We spend our lives trying to gain power when God gives power to be used for others. At the end of the day, we are so corrupted by sin that no amount of human power can ever overcome the sin and the death that we face. The answers to the world's problems are never going to come from human power because our power is limited. So where does that point us? 
you know where it points us. It points us to the gospel. That salvation does not come through human power. That salvation is a work that only God can do. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Paul says, our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power. Matthew 19, 26, how how can a rich man who has all the power of the world be saved? With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. When we think about salvation, we think about the sin and the death in the world and the sin and the death that every one of us face, how can we ever overcome that? It's ultimately a work of God's power. One of the greatest images for salvation in the Christian life is the imagery of raising the white flag. When you're talking to your friends uh, about salvation and being a Christian and what does it mean to follow Jesus, we know our pride, don't we? <laughs> you don't need help knowing your own pride. We know, our, we know our pride. We want to fix our own problems. We want to hold our life together. I can do this. I don't. At the end of the day, salvation is when I raise the white flag and say, God, I've tried to fix my problems. I've tried to deal with my brokenness, this thing that I feel so powerless to overcome. You're my only hope. I look to you. Where does that gospel power come from? It comes from the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. What I could never do on my own is exactly what Jesus has done for me. I can never overcome my sin. I can never overcome my death on my own power. It has to come from Jesus. And here's the powerful part of this. Let's look at this here. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. And then what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. If you do a study in the New Testament of the concept of power, the images that show up most often are the cross and the resurrection. Christian power and hope are found in the cross and the resurrection. Now here's the amazing thing about that. When we think about the cross, that should be a symbol of defeat. When you think about the cross historically, the cross is not a pathway to power. The cross is a sign that you've lost except in the ministry of Jesus. And at this point, Philippians 2 becomes your friend. The ministry of Jesus is, his calling was not to hold on to divine power, but to use that power to come to the cross and through the cross, ultimately leading to victory. Where does that victory come from? It comes from the resurrection. And here's a really good contrast between divine power and human power. Human power, you can manipulate or force somebody to change their behavior for a little while. With the right manipulation techniques, with the right fear, with the right factors in place, you can change somebody's external behavior for a little while. The resurrection changes us from the inside out. Only God can change a person's heart. Human power changes behavior. Divine power changes our heart. The cross and the resurrection transforming us from the inside out. Now here's the great news. That same salvation power that comes through the cross and the resurrection is the same power that transforms how we live. What God does in you, he will then do through you. So how can I be changed from the inside out? How does God change my life? It's through his divine power by the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. And when that happens inside me, 
it then comes through me. It's his power at work in my life. Ephesians, again, another verse here. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Let me show you another verse about this. Philippians 2. This concept is so core to understanding the Christian life, uh, understanding New Testament theology. What does Philippians 2 say? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both the will and the work for his good pleasure. The Christian life. Who, who does the work? Do, do I do the work? Or does God do the work? Well, and we know the answer in some sense is yes. Like that's exactly how it works. I could not do what I need to do were it not for God working in my life. But when God works in my life, that should drive me to do the work that he's called me to do. That both of these factors are at play. And this takes us back to Colossians 1 that, that we read earlier. Colossians 1, 28 and 29. What has God called us to do? Well, to speak about Christ. Him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, Paul says, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. The images that Paul uses for the Christian life, athlete, farmer, and soldier. When he talks about these, these words that are used here for working and toiling and other places in the New Testament, what, what does the Christian life look like and feel like? Well, it looks like the life of a professional athlete. Um, think about the hard work of a professional athlete, not the salary, but uh, the, uh, the hard work that goes into athletic competition, the work of a farmer, and the work of a soldier. This is the work we've been called to. How do we do that work? It's his power working in us and through us. I love this quote from one of the commentaries that I was studying this week. I just wanted to show you because I think it's so helpful in this concept. Paul does not go about his work half-heartedly, hoping vaguely that grace will fill in the gaps which he is too lazy to work at himself. The Christian life is not apathetic, friends. It's not lazy. It's a life of discipline, a life of work that we've been called to. Nor, however, does he imagine that it's all up to him so that unless he burns himself out with restless, anxious toil, nothing will be achieved. The flip side is I work myself crazy because I think it's all up to me. Paul knows that God's desire is to bring Christians to maturity and that God has called him to have a share in that work. He can therefore, here's the Christian life, work hard without the stressful motivation of either pride or fear. The work that God has called us to do as followers of Jesus, we don't do that because of pride, and we don't do that out of fear. We do that because of God's power at work in our life. When I understand what God has done in my life, then I'm able to see how he wants to do that through me. Every one of us chases, faces challenges that we can never deal with on our own power, but God's power is there working in us and through us. Now the obvious question at this point is, Okay, how? <laughs> like, Owen, oh, I want to do that. I, I believe that's true. I want to follow Jesus. Let's be honest, who doesn't want to have a more powerful Christian life? Like, I've got some things I'm facing. I have friends that are facing hard things. God, I want to be used by you in a powerful way. How? I want to give you this morning five things from New Testament theology, five things from Scripture that are connected to power 
in Scripture. Number one is prayer. How do we live a powerful Christian life, an unlimited power of God working through people that are terribly limited? How do we do that? Prayer. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. It's a terrifying thought, but my approach to prayer is what really reveals my belief about God's power at work in my life and in the world. Because if I say, God, I'm gonna go work for you, but I really don't need to be involved in prayer, it's pretty much sending off the signal that I can take care of this, like this is my power at work. But when we realize that our only hope is the power of God, it drives us to prayer. And friends, realize what I'm saying here. Prayer in no way equals laziness. Prayer drives the work that God has called us to do. Prayer is the avenue to do what God has called us to do, but the danger is trying to do that without the foundation of prayer. Prayer says, God, I trust you. I want to live for you. I want your power to work in and through me. God, I need you to do what I could never do on my own. This imagery of prayer is so helpful because if you think about an example from church history, take a lady like Lottie Moon. So this is the time of year in uh, Baptist church life that we think about Lottie Moon and a, and a worldwide Christmas offering that goes out. Lottie Moon topped out in life at four feet, three inches tall. Uh, Lottie Moon was four feet, three inches tall. Most, by most reports, she was somewhere around 50 pounds. Apparently, like all women, she didn't give her weight to anybody, so we don't actually have that on record, but seems like she was around 50 pounds. But let me tell you, this was not a weak lady. In fact, she was one of the first females in the American South to earn a master's degree. She grew up in a rich home, a religious home, but she didn't come to faith in Christ until she was a college student. And when she became a follower of Jesus, she was on fire and went around the world telling people about the good news of Jesus. Now, in your mind, if I thought ahead, I might have done cardboard cutouts, but I, I didn't think about it. So in your mind, Lottie Moon, four feet, three inches tall, 50 pounds. Power team member, 6'5", 280, muscle bound. If we're not careful, if we're not careful, which of those images do we find most powerful? From a worldly perspective, it can be this. From a divine perspective, it's most likely this. Now, you don't know that power team heart member's heart. It, it may be good. But the imagery is, God, I need your power because ultimately your strength is shown through my weakness, which takes us to number two. The first sign of power in the Christian life is the life of prayer. The second sign of power in the Christian life is when I realize that God's strength shows up most clearly through my weaknesses. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. Man, what a great morning. Power team, Amy Grant, and now jars of clay. Like we've done all the uh, 80s and 90s and early 2000s here. So uh, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Listen to this next verse. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. 
that imagery of a jar of clay, something that was considered very commonplace, something that didn't have a lot of worth, but something that was used to show God's power and God's strength. Here's the temptation we face in the Christian life. You think, if I just had a little more talent, or if I just had a little more money, or if my past wasn't so messed up, man, God would really be able to do something for my life, or I could really do something for God. Can I tell you that it's exactly your lack of talent or lack of resources or especially your past that might be so messed up that is the avenue for God to do the work that he wants to do in and through you. Our weaknesses, our brokenness is not a hindrance to God working in and through our lives. In fact, it's exactly the plan that he wants to use because he is glorified and we are reminded of how dependent we are on him. In the Christian life, we don't run from weakness, we are drawn to it because we see God at work in really powerful ways. Think about classes of people that are mentioned in the New Testament who we are supposed to run to with the good news of Jesus. Foreigners, orphans, and widows. People who have the least power in the world are uplifted in the kingdom of God. God's people are drawn to foreigners, to widows, and to orphans because we more than anybody should realize that it's not our personal strength, but it's our weaknesses that allow God's power to shine through. God, let that be true in our lives. Number three, so prayer, strength through weakness, the third way that we see God's power at work in the New Testament is just what we're gonna call gospel proclamation. Uh, said another way, speaking about the things of Jesus. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. What's the result of that power? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. When do we often seem the least powerful. <laughs> it's when we're tripping over our words and our palms are sweaty and our hearts are beating 100 times per minute because we're trying to speak to someone about Jesus. But in that moment, when we realize that we've been empowered to do that, we are reminded that our job is not to manipulate anybody, to not sell something to somebody and not force somebody to have faith. Our job is just to be a witness to Jesus, just to speak about the good news of Jesus to others. Because faith in another person that's forced is not really going to be faith. And if we feel like it's our job to talk someone in to being a Christian, somebody else will probably talk them out of it. Our job is to speak of the good news of Jesus so that God's power would do in them what only he can do. But we do have the calling to speak. And when we speak about the things of Jesus, we see God's power at work in those moments. And it's not, just, it's not just speaking to someone who's not a Christian and telling them about Jesus. It's also speaking to one another. You see someone whose marriage is hurting. You see someone who's really struggling with their kids at home. You see someone who you can just tell something behind closed doors is not good. What are we called to do in those situations? Man, we're so drawn to want to fix one another's problems, and, and that is my problem, is my draw to want to fix everybody else's problems. What are we called to do? We're called to point them to Jesus. Him we proclaim. Warning, 
teaching, admonishing, but always pointing them back to the power of God. He is our hope, and we point others back to him. Prayer, strength through weakness, gospel proclamation. Number four, a sign of power in the New Testament is spiritual gifts. How does God work in us in powerful ways? He works through what we call spiritual gifts. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. In the church, don't miss this, in the church, by God's good wisdom, he has limited the gifting and power of every one of us. So not everybody in the church has the same spiritual gifts. Why? Well, number one, so we'll be reminded daily that we're not God, but also that we'll be reminded how much we need one another. It's easy in the church for it to feel like everything is done by a small group of people and then the other group of people feel like it's their job just to show up and stay out of the way. And We know that's not New Testament church, right? God has empowered every believer with the power of the Holy Spirit to be used to strengthen the church and advance the gospel. Every believer has been empowered and we need every believer. This idea of the church leadership, the job there is not to do all the work. We're having to remind ourselves of this constantly. Our job is to equip and encourage the people of God to be engaged in the mission of God with exactly how God has gifted and empowered you. We have this foundation of prayer. We recognize that none of us is perfect, that, that we're all weak, but we wanna speak about the good news of Jesus, and then we realize that every one of us is gifted by the Spirit of God to be used in the ministry that he's called you to. The question is, how has God empowered you? How has God gifted you to strengthen the church and advance the gospel? If you're a little uncertain about that, let me give you a possible next step on, on this. This Wednesday night, here at Emmaus, we can't answer this question fully, obviously, in 75 minutes, but we're, we're gonna take a first step toward it, a next step. If you say, you know what, I'm really curious, what are my spiritual gifts? Like, how, how has God shaped me and prepared me to be used in the ministry of the church? This will be the difference maker in, in church life over the next five to 10 years, without a doubt. Because without being a prophet, and 2020 is no time to be looking into a crystal ball, because it's, it's super fuzzy. Um, but, but as you look into the future, uh, there's a future in which the church may not have as much social and political power as we have at one time, as if that was ever the point to begin with. But if we find ourselves in a future where maybe we don't have as much social or political power as we once did, the response there is not fear. The response there is perhaps that is exactly the avenue that God is using to draw us back to complete dependence on him. Because if we are no longer drawing from what we presume to be worldly power, but our eyes are set back on God and say, God, you have to do in us and through us what only you can do, for that to happen, that doesn't happen with just a small group of people. That happens when the church comes together and says, we are all going to be engaged in what God has called us to do. It takes all of us to do this. So this Wednesday night, we're gonna do this six o'clock over in the fellowship hall, that metal building in, in the back. If you can't be here Wednesday night, 
completely understand that. Just catch me after the service or send me an email. I'd love to send you the material about this as you think, God, how have you gifted me? How have you prepared me to, uh, to serve? I wanna be used in those ways. We've got that option for you. Number five, let's wrap up with this. When you think about power in the New Testament, the key word is hope. So prayer, a life of prayer, God, I'm dependent on you. I'm not gonna run away from my weaknesses because that's when you show up in the greatest ways. I'm gonna speak about Jesus. I'm gonna build up the church the way that you've gifted me. I can't do everything, but I am gonna do what you've called me to do, and I'm going to do that with the spirit of hope. First Peter, according to his great mercy, God has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We live in a world where people are in desperate need of hope. But I want you to know that Christian hope is not about what might happen in the future. Christian hope is about what has already happened through the resurrection of Jesus. When Christians use the word hope, we are not talking about what might happen in the future. There's a lot of things we hope for. We hope that things might be different. Maybe we get past this virus. Maybe things settle. We have hopes. Christian hope is not about what might happen in the future. Christian hope is about what has already happened through the resurrection of Jesus. Christ in you the hope of glory, which means as we live in this world, we live as people who can say over and over and over again, this is not the end of the story. What I see right now, what I experience right now, what I'm going through right now, this is not the end of the story because my ultimate hope is not found in my own power. My ultimate hope is found in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, who has done in me what only he can do, and who wants to do through me what only he can do. Friends, we're called to pray. We're called to embrace our weakness. We're called to speak about Jesus. We're called to strengthen one another as the church. And above all, we are called to be people of hope. And this week, I would encourage you, let's be a church of hope. Let me pray for you as we wrap up. God, we don't need a ton of reminders to know how limited our personal power is. Uh, we, we know our attempts to change ourselves. Uh, God, we know our attempts to get our life together. We know our attempts to try to help other people with problems. God, we realize that our power is limited, but that's not a bad thing. In fact, that's one of your great gifts to us because it drives us back to focus on your power. God, we don't want to live weak lives. We sure don't want to live lazy lives. God, we want to do what you've called us to do. God, drive us back to prayer this week. God, I pray that we would pray like we never have as a church, that you would work in power. God, when we think about our weakness, maybe we think about how broken our past is or how little we bring to the table, God, we wouldn't see that as a bad thing, but we would see how you're working through those experiences. You don't waste any of our experiences. God, build us up as a church in the days ahead. 
that we would not be a church defined by human power, but we would be a church defined by divine power. God, do in our church family what only you can do so that only you will receive the glory. And God, make us a people of hope. So many people around us have very little hope. They're struggling with fear and uncertainty. But God, I pray that the cross and the resurrection would drive us to be a people of hope in this world. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.